was able to hear me all along. And they actually say that I, my voice projects when they're being polite. <laughs> 127. So which one's better, male or female? Is that not a fair question? Which, which one was really created in the image of God? So male or female? What's verse 27 say? Male and female. Which one is made in God's image? Male and female created in God's image. There's equality. There's all this discussion, especially after the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, and this big rigmarole in the press, and everybody's you know has problems. They're equal. They're both made in the image of God. In fact, together we image God better than we do individually, and we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. Genesis 2 verses 4 to 9. Somebody read that for us. Oh, and by the way, in Genesis 1, 27, there's male and female. Is there anything in between? Okay, just so, just so we can get that settled. Yes, there, there is nothing else. It is truly binary. So whatever the world tells us, this is a binary thing. You're one or the other. Okay, uh, Genesis 2, verses 4 to 9. Somebody read that for us. this point in the second creation story. So we get one view in Genesis 1. We get another view starting here in Genesis 2. Another picture of God's creation. At this point in the story, who is humanity? Adam. One guy is humanity. He's given some tasks, right? He's told things that he's supposed to be doing. And so he does these things. Um, somebody read verses 15 through 17 of that same chapter. negative command. <laughs> this isn't going to go very far before we mess this up, but one negative command. Adam's put in the garden. He's got a job to do. Is he competent to do the job? 
by himself. He's competent to do the job, right? I mean, God's put him in the garden to do this. He is competent to do that. And yet, look at verses 18 to 20. Somebody read that for us. Hear what God's idea is about this. Adam is competent, but 18 to 20. Thank you. God's idea is what in these verses? That Adam's not able to do the work? Is he? He doesn't know any different, does he? He, He's the only one. He's he's got all these critters that he's just named. He's got all this this stuff. He, He doesn't even know at this point that he's lonely. But God says he needs a helper. He needs a helper, right? doesn't need a companion. He needs a helper. Got lots of companions coming, but right now what he needs is a helper. So before the fall, that's where we are in the story. Before the fall, Adam has a role, and then there's going to be this other one that's going to be someone with a role, helper. Chapter 1, we see they're equal in God's eyes. They're both image bearers of God, but there's something distinct about their roles at this point. And so look at verses um, 21 to 23 then. Somebody read that for us. Thank you. Adam, all alone in the garden, God says, even though creation is good, he says this situation is not good. And so he gives him a helper. Where does he get her? From his rib, from his very flesh, right? So that he brings the woman to the man, and my paraphrase is Yowza. <laughs> I like this one. <laughs> this I got to name all these other things. This one is like me. This this one is a compliment to me. This is good stuff. When when Adam and Eve, where they come from, one flesh. When they had sexual intercourse they reunited that one flesh when married couples today have intercourse they rehearse that same union so that the bible says that when they come together they are one flesh that's rehearsing this thing all over again when adam and eve come together it's adam's flesh why should he love eve as his own body because she's his own body because she was taken from him. 
So Genesis 2.24, this is God's law of marriage. Somebody read that for us in an out loud voice. So in verse 24, he's going to leave his father and his mother. Adam doesn't have a father and mother. This is obviously something that God has commented on in this creation because Adam has no father and mother to leave, to hold fast to his wife. This becomes God's law of marriage, and it's quoted a number of times in the New Testament. Jesus quotes it in Matthew 19.5 and in a parallel passage in Mark chapter 10. Paul quotes this in 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5. This is God's, this is God's plan for marriage. This is his law for marriage. The courts today may decide something different, but it's against God's law. How many people are in this relationship according to just this one verse? Let, let's dig into this verse for a minute. Two. One of each, right? There's, there's a male and there's a female. There's one of each. One man, one woman. And they are to then be monogamous. Two people are to be in union together until death do them part. Death hasn't come on the scene yet. This marriage would have gone on forever. They were perfect. Those of you that are struggling, they were, they were okay at this point. A forever marriage seemed like a really good idea. I, I know that sometimes we want to, um, well, we're, yeah, we're not get into it. Uh, hold fast. What does that mean to hold fast? A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. What's hold fast mean? Yeah, it, it, he needs to have fidelity to her, right? He's to hold her. Um, today, the world messes this up. From the very early days of Scripture, people have messed this up with adultery. This holding fast means that the marriage is durable. It's supposed to last until death is going to separate them. We bring divorce into the picture. And I know that, that all of these topics that we're going to talk about, that our sin affects everyone in this room. Somebody, either you have gone through these things, somebody in your family, somebody close to you. So I don't, wanna, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable apart from how Scripture would make you uncomfortable. But this is God's law for marriage. And in fact... This marriage is based on this relationship that they have. Each of them have roles in the relationship. The, the formal term that we use for that is complementarianism, right? That's a, a topic that is widely talked about. The opposite of it is egalitarianism, that the two people are completely interchangeable. Not sure how that really works out in real life, how it is that she can bear children, but egalitarians would say there's no difference between them. Th this is, there, there is a leader of the family, and there is a 
helper for the leader of the family, according to God's law. Uh, flip over to 1 Timothy 2.13. Somebody, whoever gets there first, read that for us. We're still talking about before the fall. 1 Timothy 2.13. Paul's telling Timothy how the creation order determines authority. Now, you can dislike that, but you have to dislike what God says about it rather than what I have to say about it. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 9. Somebody read that for us. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 9. identity is rooted in his prior identity. Eve's identity as woman was rooted in Adam's identity as man. For a while, he was mankind. Her identity comes from being taken from Adam. And again, when we recognize those relationships in our families, we're rehearsing God's created order. We're doing that all over again to remember what things were like in the beginning. So he is the head of the home. He directs, supposed to provide, supposed to protect. His family is actually part of himself. Eve was part of Adam. She was taken from him. She's the manager of the home. She's, she's not a servant in the home. She's a manager of the home. She's a she is a helper, not just a companion, and she is part of his household. I mean, the, the whole tradition of taking last names recognizes this idea that she becomes part of his household. Now, sinfully, we get all sorts of bizarre things. We, we get this superior-inferior thing going. We get that, that he's the owner and she's the property, and you can see this in cultures around the world. You see distortions even in the sexuality. Th this is a heterosexual union, masculine, feminine. We've got all kinds of sins today. We, we've got this now, uh, I heard one college has 40 or 50 options to choose from. 
as you choose gender. So how many bathrooms are they going to have to have? I mean, that, this is, that's all before the fall. Then comes the fall. And bad things are coming, right? So because of the fall, Genesis 3.16, somebody read what the disruption in relationships happened because of the fall. Genesis 3.16. She is the childbearer. No other way for it to work. She bears children. God says that role is now going to be painful. The role of helper, she's given to Adam as his helpmeet, his helper, that becomes difficult. Look at that word, your desire shall be for your husband. Well, what does that mean? If you look over in chapter 4 of Genesis, just a few verses later, chapter 4, verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire the exact same word its desire is for you but you must rule over it God says to Eve your desire will be for your husband he shall rule over you God tells Cain sins crouching at the door its desire is for you you must rule over it you want to know what desire means in verse 16 of chapter 3 it's right there her desire. Why, why is her desire going to be there? What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to protect. The deceiver is in the garden. He didn't protect his wife. He's supposed to provide. He's not providing. He stands by while the deceiver draws his wife into sin. So that rightly, Adam gets blamed for it. Eve doesn't get blamed for the sin. Adam gets blamed for it because he knew better. He was commanded. Before Eve came along, God gave Adam this command, and he did not teach his family well, did not protect his wife. How about verse 17 of chapter 3? How bad do things get for the man? That means someone read that out loud first. Thank you. So her role as childbearer becomes painful. His role as provider becomes painful. Her role of helper becomes difficult because she no longer trusts, and, and she's wanting to take charge. His role of leader becomes difficult because of the fall. These aren't curses that God placed on them. These are the consequences of their choices. This is what God has said. This is the outcome of the choice that you make. We're going to spend the next five weeks going through part of the book of Ephesians. Because in Ephesians, we see the undoing. Through sanctification, we see undoing of these parts of the fall.
these disruptions to creation because of the fall, we're going to see those undone in the book of Ephesians. I'm just going to run down real quickly an outline of the book of Ephesians for you. Ephesians is a New Testament letter. New Testament letters written in the first century follow a typical pattern. It's the way they wrote them. When we write a letter, we say, you know, dear John, or, you know, maybe that's not the best choice, but dear so-and-so. They start out a letter with a greeting. Hey, it's Paul writing, and um, how are you guys doing? Tells who, who it is, to whom it's written, gives them some sort of a greeting. Typically, there's a blessing there. Then the first part of the letter, the bulk of the letter, is some sort of truth, some sort of information that's being passed on. And then the second part of the letter is, because of that information, there's some expectations of you. There, there's a so what to the letter. So there's the what, and then there's the so what in the letter. In uh, Ephesians, the first two verses are the greeting. Then the next three chapters are the truth, that God has created a people for himself. He saved us through Christ's work. He saved us by grace through faith. And he's unified us despite our differences. He's made us equal with each other in the body of Christ despite our different backgrounds. And then the application of that comes in chapters 4 through 6, and those are what we're going to start on next week. Chapter 4, be sanctified by God. Actually, 4 through 6, all of be sanctified by God. Be sanctified as a body of believers. Be sanctified by rehearsing your new life. Be sanctified by reflecting God to the world around you. Be sanctified in your marriage. Be sanctified as parents and children. Be sanctified as household slaves and masters. Be sanctified in God's big story. And then New Testament letters end the way that letters did in the first century with some sort of benediction. And Ephesians does that. So that's all of Ephesians in three minutes. There'll be a quiz next week. Um, so what I'd like to do over the next few weeks is this. We're, we're going to look, we're going to start with the marriage relationship. We're going to look at husband and wife, and then we're going to work our way out from there. So it's an unorthodox way, but um, I think it'll be beneficial doing this because we're going to look at how the church and the family ought to relate. How does the church strengthen the family? How does the family strengthen the church? Where are the two different where do the two come together? So we're going to start out with sancti uh, our sanctification in the marriage relationship, which undoes the effects of Genesis 3 and glorifies God by showing a picture of his relationship with us. We're going to look at the sanctification in the parent-child relationship, how that glorifies God by passing on the faith to the next generation. You realize that in a parent-child relationship, both are being sanctified in a Christian home. Then we're going to look at how relating in the world, relating to the world, glorifies God by participating in this bigger plan. We'll, um, let's see, then we'll back up, that sort of finishes up chapter 5, back up into chapter 4 again, that our sanctification in rehearsing eternal life glorifies God by reflecting his holiness, and then our sanctification in unity glorifies God by reflecting his unity. 
The triune God did not need us. He was never lonely. It just pleased him to create us. The triune God was in forever relationship. Um, he is a God who relates, and this is one of my key questions to the J-dubs that I talked to, the Jehovah's Witnesses. If God is a relational God, did he change then when he created people, or was he ever in a relationship, if he's forever in a relationship, then the son is eternal. We argued this thing about 1,900 years ago, or 1,800 years ago, settled it, J-dubs have brought it back around, but if we look at God's truth, we can argue against all the, the uh, cults out there, but so that's, that's what I'd like to plan to do over these next few weeks. We'll, we'll focus primarily on Ephesians, work our way out from the marriage relationship, and we'll bring in other passages of, of Scripture as we um, have time and as they would be helpful. So, what questions do you have about this big bombshell that I've dropped on you? What is it that you're... Have I said something that bothers you? That maybe you hadn't thought. Yes, sir. Y'all hear what he's saying? That polygamy is not biblical. There are, in fact, only a handful of instances of polygamy in Scripture, and none of them go well. So polygamy is not something that comes from Scripture. It is in Scripture, just as Satan's words are in Scripture. It does not make that right. It's just a report that, yeah, this happened. It didn't work out well. Don't give that a try. It is a description, not a prescription. Excellent. Yes, that, that is a very good way to, to say that. It is not what we're supposed to do. It's just the way things were. They messed up. David, Solomon. I mean, just look at the short list of characters in Scripture that were polygamous. And notice that it's always a one-way polygamy. It's, it's actually polygyny. It's, it's many wives. There are no wives that have many husbands. Polyandria. There is, there is no example of that in Scripture. I mean, even Scripture didn't find people that were that messed up. But they are messed up. They need a Savior. That's the good news. Ephesians tells us what the Savior's done for us. He's undoing all those things from, Gen yeah, from Genesis 3. All the things that went wrong in Genesis 3 God is making right, and he's doing that in the body of believers known as the church. So hoping over the next few weeks that we'll be able to pull church and family together rather than divide them. Um, but I, I look forward to our time. I, I can't thank our pastor enough for allowing me the, the chance to teach on some of these Wednesday nights. I, I, I love to be in this role. Yes, is this multiple choice?
Pay tight. Okay, all right. Was Adam's sin not leading his family well, or was it the taking the fruit? It's all part of the one thing, right? It's the one event. Yeah. It was God under the, the, the under regents were humanity and there to rule over the critters. In, in Genesis 3, we get two and a half chapters into the book, and the roles are already flipped. Humanity that's supposed to serve under God, ruling over creation, yields to the creature. That's why, that's why Satan legitimately was able to offer Christ the world. He, he offered him rule of the world because that is Satan's dominion. Why? Because of Genesis 3. Because Adam said, you can Eve takes a lot of blame. Who was supposed to have taught Eve? Adam. Did Adam teach his family? And Adam did not teach his family well. She didn't even get it right. Because if you read the report, we don't have time to do that, but read the report, she's, she adds to it. It's like, it's like the Pharisees adding to God's law. It's like, well, yeah, and don't even touch it or you'll die. Satan's like, no, you can touch it. You're not going to die and sure enough she touches like i'm not dead maybe maybe god is holding back yeah and they're if you want a really interesting read, yeah, if you want an interesting read on that topic, I've got a dissertation that I wrote on cognitive dissonance theory, and I talk about the dissonance that they experienced in, in the garden. I'm, I'm just kidding. There, there have been like five people read it in, on the planet so far. So. tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Right. Read my dissertation, and you can read about what I say about Job's asking that kind of question. Uh, God, if I could just get an audience with him, we're going to get this straightened out, and God shows up, it's like, mm, yeah, mm, uh, he's dipsetting. Right, and when you when you are face to face with God at the throne, and He'll say, "Now remind me, Jose, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world?" Because you must have been there. You're that wise. You must have been there. So can you just remind me about that day? Yeah, and, and you'll say, uh, "I'm talking without knowing anything." Yeah, uh, we. 
We can ask all kinds of why questions. We don't know. Their perfection was provisional. It was provisional on obedience. Our perfection in the consummation, our perfection in the end, will be on Christ's work, and it's not going to be dependent on us at all. So that in the consummation, we can no longer sin because we're tied to the one who is righteous, who was tempted in every way, who couldn't sin, and so we will never be able to sin. And man, I look forward to that day because right now it's daily, hourly, minutely <laughs> that I struggle. Um, I think I'm running. Yes, sir? I don't know what time we go to. Eight o'clock, three minutes ago? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. No, no, that all all of the other all of the other creatures had had another creature that was compatible with it. There wasn't another one like Adam. Adam is the only thing. He is all of humanity at this point. So there isn't another one of him. There's nothing like him. And that's why when when God brings Eve in, it's like, yeah, that that one's like me. <laughs> In, and is different from me in just the right ways. I like that. Okay, let me close this in prayer, and uh, I look forward to our study in Ephesians. Now that we've seen the problem, let's go to the solution over the next five weeks. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your son who, who came to die for our sins, but who came to unite us so that we can gather and talk about things like this. We can open up your revealed word. We can uh, debate even uh, the, the words that we read here to find your truth. I just ask that over these next weeks that you would speak into each of our hearts, speak into each of our families, and speak into your church here at Fisherville. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.